This episode is brought to you by my signature program, Play Cafe Academy, and my group coaching program, Playmaker Society. If you want to learn more about how you can become a member in either program, head to the show notes or episode description wherever you are listening. Not only do my programs give you the complete blueprint to get from daydream to opening day in your play-based business, it will also teach you how to operate profitably and live the life that you truly dreamed of when you decided to launch this business. So head to the show notes and I look forward to welcoming you inside of my programs. If you own or manage an indoor play center or really any business that serves local kids and families, and you want to operate with more ease and joy all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for small but mighty tips every weekday that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play-based business. Happy Friday, Playmakers. All right. So in this episode, I want to talk about a situation that a lot of play space owners will go through, and that is being approached by potential investors or business partners. Now, if you've been following my YouTube channel for a while, you'll already know how I feel about going into this business with a business partner to split things like startup costs and duties and things like that. But that's not the situation that I'm talking about in this episode. What I'm talking about is, let's say, one, two, three years into your business, somebody approaches you and wants to become a co-owner or an investor in the business. And maybe they have a little money that they want to inject into the business, and in turn, they want a stake. So maybe that's full owner duties. Maybe that's just deciding votes, something like that in the LLC. Let's say they want 10%, something like that. I'm sure you guys have all seen Shark Tank and you know what you know a stake in a business means, but this is actually not that uncommon. And I went through this about two years into my business. So I was just figuring things out. I was just starting to make really good money, but I was still recovering from that first year when I made a lot of mistakes. Admittedly, you guys know that I am an open book and totally transparent about that. So I was a little bit extra vulnerable at this point because I didn't know at this point if I was going to be able to sustain my success. So what happened in my situation is a local mom approached me and she was one of our most loyal customers. Her child was just amazing. She was a member. She did our summer camps, all that good stuff. And she really wanted to open something similar, but for whatever reason, she did not want to open her own location. I proposed licensing a location to her, but she really just wanted in on my specific business because she lived right around the corner, because her child was already acclimated and for whatever reason, right? She probably had her own personal reasons. And I mean, let me just say opening your own location from scratch is difficult. So I get where she was coming from. And essentially she approached me and she said, Hey, I have, you know, X thousand dollars and I would like to buy into your business as a co-owner or become a co-owner rather. And I had to think long and hard about this. And in hindsight, at that point, I'm really glad I didn't move forward with it, even though it was very tempting to get this really sizable cash infusion into my business. And in this episode, I'm not going to try to form an opinion on what you should do because your business situation might look a little bit different from mine. 
as I mentioned, at this particular moment, I was feeling really vulnerable. I was still paying off bills that I had accumulated during that first summer when we actually lost money, which was a little bit unexpected or very unexpected. So again, I was feeling a little bit vulnerable and I almost went through it to the point where we had like an agreement drafted up and lawyers and all that good stuff. And something in me just felt off. And I knew that if I moved forward with this partnership, even though it would have given me a quick band-aid on my cash flow issues, I knew that moving forward, it would turn my business into something that I didn't want. And it would no longer bring me joy. And that's what I want to talk about today. Again, I'm going to give you some pros and cons of each scenario. And then I want you to think long and hard about this situation for yourself, because if you are a successful place-based owner, people will recognize that. And as I've said before, people will want to enjoy that same success for themselves, whether that's opening a competitor or whether that's approaching you as a potential investor and partner. So in my opinion, it's better to go through these pros and cons beforehand so that you are prepared when the situation happens to you. So that is your play of the day is to make your own pros and cons list and at least come to a gut feeling decision. And then again, if this ever happens to you, or should I say when this happens to you, you'll know how to respond and you won't be scrambling. All right, so some pros of taking on an investor or a partner. First, it's going to be the obvious, right? You're going to get a quick cash boost and it's not going to cost you anything really directly. Sure, you're going to have to pay lawyer fees and things like that, but essentially someone's going to step into your business and just hand you a big check and you're going to think, "Wow, you know, this is somebody that's going to now be splitting duties with me, but I don't have to pay them because I'm paying them with a stake in my business. Now, in your agreement, there should have been things like profit sharing and distributions and dividends and things like that. So again, that's something that is going to have to be determined in the boardroom with your lawyers and maybe with your CPA or your financial advisor. And you're going to have to evaluate your business and determine how much the percentage that they want is actually worth. Make sure you're getting paid enough. Make sure that everybody agrees to the terms, all that stuff. So this is just one more situation where it's extremely critical to have all of your books up to date. So I have a bunch of episodes about selling your business and what it takes to put an actual valuation on your business. And all of that rides on the fact that your books need to be up to date and accurate. So again, even if you have no plans of ever selling your business, this is just one more example of when keeping accurate books is going to benefit you. All right. So again, pros, quick cash boost. And then, like I said, you're going to be able to split your duties hypothetically and not have to pay this person as an employee. You are essentially paying them based on the profits that your business generates. So it might seem like all reward and no risk, but again, I'm going to get to the cons in a little bit, but this is the most obvious reason that a business partner or an investor feels really attractive. Another pro for the situation is that you don't need to involve your customers in this. So a lot of times when a business needs a quick cash infusion, like for example, when I talked about creating a bundle offer to create a quick cash infusion in your business, I will link to that episode if you haven't listened to it yet. It's a really good one. I'm really, really proud of it. But 
if you need cash in your business and you're thinking about taking on an investor to fill this role of bringing on this quick cash infusion, you know, you have options, right? So option one is the investor. Option two is creating some sort of sale or bundle offer or new offer or launching a new revenue stream. And only one of those situations has to involve your customers, right? So some owners say, well, I do need cash, but I really don't want to discount my offers. I don't want to create something new. I don't really have any money to invest to launch a new revenue stream. I don't have a lot of time to put all this together. So again, taking on an investor seems really attractive because it seems a lot simpler and you don't have to involve your customers by offering them a discount or something like that. So your customers have to be none the wiser until obviously it goes through. And then you might want to introduce your customers to your new partner. And then the third pro is that you can use this cash from your new partner or new investor to start a new revenue stream. So for example, if you've really been thinking about launching a mobile soft play business or something like that on the side or a balloon business, and you need to invest in equipment or anything like that, you can use this money from your investor or your business partner. Let's say you're not hurting for cash. You can use this cash to reinvest in your business, to replace some toys or structures that have been broken, maybe buy a new espresso machine, maybe add some menu items things like that. So you can use the cash not just to replenish your capital on hand or anything or working capital cash on hand, anything like that. You can use it to reinvest and actually grow your business. So those are going to be the three pros in this situation. So now we're going to move on to the cons. So if you take on an investor or a business partner and you're giving up a stake in your business and you're giving them some decision-making power, again, this is going to be all determined in your terms, but let's say they do have decision-making power. They have decision-making power and per your agreement, you have to involve them or get their approval on every single thing. Again, this will really come down to what you agreed upon and what the size of their stake is. It's now going to take you two times as longer at least to do every single thing in your business. So previously, when you could just wake up and say, hey, I want to do summer camps this year, or hey, I want to add a new menu item, or hey, I think it would be really cool to add balloons to my business. Now, every single decision that you make in your business has the potential to become a huge process and a huge production. So there's this big misconception that business partners will save you a lot of time because you're essentially splitting duties. But I have been behind the scenes of a lot of business partnerships, and I'm telling you, this is almost never the case. I'm going to repeat that again. Even though it feels like you're going to have someone to split duties with, you're never going to save time in this scenario. And I'm going to give you a couple more reasons why, because again, on paper, this sort of thing seems very attractive, but in practice, it is almost never so. All right. So the next con that I want to move into, which kind of plays off of this, is that each partner will always feel like 
they're doing more and what they're doing is more important. So a lot of times when somebody enters into a business partnership or like in my case, somebody approached me and said, hey, I know you're not a former teacher. I know you admit freely that you're not extremely creative in that regard. I have those skills. And she was, again, proposing a partnership. And like I said, it seemed really attractive. I was like, wow, it seems like this person can really fill in a lot of holes for me. Now, that is good in that sense in that people are bringing two different sets of skills and experiences and perspectives to the table. However, it's really hard to quantify the value of different skills. So let me just play devil's advocate a little bit. And this is not to pat myself on the back or anything like that. This is just meant to give you an explanation of what happens in real life. And I'm going to talk about a real life scenario that I was a part of. And this was not in my own business. This is somebody who reached out to me who had in fact taken on a business partner. So this is a real life scenario. This, I'm, I think I said it was hypothetical. I'm going to talk about it in vague terms, but it is not hypothetical. This really happens. All right. So let's say partner number A was a former teacher. She was very good at creating lesson plans and class materials and things like that, a little bit more creative. She was planning on doing all the events, the events and things like that. And then partner B was more business savvy. So she came from a financial background like myself. We both had master's degrees in finance and accounting excuse me, not accounting economics. And she was going to be responsible for all of the marketing, all of the operations of the business, keeping the books, the hiring, the firing, and things like that. And if you were to put these two tasks, all of these, or rather these columns of tasks on paper, and you were to say, okay, what would it cost me to outsource all of the tasks that partner A is doing? It would be a given amount. And then what would it cost to outsource all of the tasks that partner B is doing? And there would be a set amount. And when you look at it, I'm telling you, it would cost you a lot more to outsource all of the activities that person B is doing. And even though person A might be spending just as much time, just as much effort, might be just as passionate about the business, objectively, those tasks are not valued the same in the eyes of a business broker. And this can cause a lot of resentment. This can cause a lot of discord between the two partners. And like I said, I've seen this time and time again. So dividing tasks might seem good on paper, but each person is always going to feel like they're doing more and they're going to feel like what they're doing is more important. And something else I kind of want to ask you, if you're thinking about dividing tasks, are you splitting by the sales that your tasks are generating. So maybe person A is generating more sales by their activities. Person B isn't. Maybe person B is doing more admin-related tasks. Is that going to cause resentment or anything like that if one of the sets of tasks is revenue-generating activities and one isn't? Are you dividing tasks by the amount of time that it's going to take? Maybe one person is an absolute whiz at marketing and has absolutely exploded sales. Is it fair for that person to make the exact same amount of money in terms of profit distributions and things like that as person B, who maybe is spending way more time, but their tasks aren't generating any revenue? You might have an opinion about that, and that's absolutely fine. But when you come to an agreement and things are black and white on paper, again, 
not all of this translates into the real world. So I'm just giving you some scenarios that I've seen come up. So uh, like I said, dividing tasks is good on paper, but you have to think about how the tasks are being divided and what is fair in terms of time might not necessarily be fair in terms of how you feel or how your partner feels. Another con is that it can be really confusing to your team, especially if you're in an equal partnership. So there might be a time where you might contradict what your partner says, or your partner might contradict what you say. And who does the team members listen to? Are you responsible for a certain number of team members and your partner is responsible for a certain number? Or maybe you're responsible for parties and that is your list of tasks. So are you going to be responsible for all of the employees that do parties or are your employees cross-trained? It can get very, very confusing if everything is not completely detailed and outlined in black and white and actually followed. That's the key word. Anybody can put pen to paper and create a partner agreement, but day in and day out, if you're not executing that to the letter, it's going to be very confusing between you and your partner. And it's going to be very confusing for your team members, for your employees. And one of the most common reasons that team members end up leaving a business, which none of us want right now, especially in this job market, is unclear duties, not not clear expectations, really um, toxic work environments, all of which business partners can contribute to. Again, this is not saying that every business partnership is toxic. I'm just saying it ha- it takes a very special and a very unique set of circumstances to make this work. So again, I hope that was a an accurate list of pros and cons for you. Your play of the day is to kind of go through all of this because I'm telling you this will happen at least one time in your business if you're operating in your second, third, or fourth year and you're seeing any level of success. Because like I said, as soon as you start becoming successful, everyone's going to come out of the woodwork and want to see the same success for themselves. And that's not necessarily saying that they have bad intentions whatsoever. I would take it as a compliment and flattery that they're seeing what you're doing. They love what you're providing to the community and they want to be a part of it. But I want you to be prepared and I want you to have thought of all of these different scenarios in your head. So like I said, you're not scrambling, especially if their offer is time sensitive. All right. Have a great day, Playmakers. Have a great weekend. I appreciate all of you so much. If you found this episode helpful, leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. That is the best way to support me and the show and to help us find other Playmakers to join this little podcast community that we have created. Bye, guys.